So we're talking The Deer Hunter tonight, a film that wins its director, best picture and director, Michael Cimino. And then uh, Michael Cimino promptly gets a massive budget after this film because he was kind of left alone to do this film. And they thought, hey, let's let him do that a second time. And he makes a film called Heaven's Gate. Mm -hmm. And Heaven's Gate is a massive flop. Mm -hmm. A flop that's so bad that people start immediately wondering if Deer Hunter is any good because of it. Ooh, we'll save any comments on that for later. And, and to this day, it is regarded as one of the greatest flops of all time to the point where when Kevin Costner was making Waterworld and the budget on that kept ballooning, they referred to it as Kevin's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Also Fish Tar, which is mm. also hilarious. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I just wanted all that table setting for the fact that we would like to talk about Failed follow-ups to big directorial films, like like those kinds of films that are so big that they just give somebody too much free reign and they make something that nobody goes to see. So, uh, Josh, I know you said you didn't want Zach stealing your your pick. Yeah, so, I heard he's uh, notorious for doing that, and I was really <laughs> nervous. <laughs> so, so feel free to open up for us. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've got this. Might be kind of a controversial uh, pick, but uh, John Carpenter with the thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. That movie is fucking perfect. I love that movie. But it was following Halloween. I mean, it, it, John Carpenter had this like up and down because Halloween and then the fog didn't do super great. Even though that's right. also an amazing movie. I mean, Zombie Pirates. And yeah. Adrian Barbeau's radio voice. Adrian Barbeau's please. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I've been, it came back with Escape from New York. Right. And then right after The Thing. And I've been, people just... People hated The Thing. Hated it. Wow. Walked out of it. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. like It was no, critically reviled. Now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was described as instant junk. And uh, <laughs> I believe one of the reviews called it a wretched excess. Wow. <laughs> Like people, I mean, people said that the special effects were the top of their game because they were. All those practical effects were gorgeous. Hard to deny that, even if you don't like the film. Yeah, but like, mm. I, I don't know. Like, people just didn't dig the pace. I mean, I guess it came out right around ET. And if you're gonna go see an alien movie, uh, ET's came out the same year as ET. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's that's that's a tough go, but like, it's just. The pace is beautiful. The it's you can still debate the ending of it in mm -hmm. several different ways. It's such a good movie, right? Uh, my favorite podcast, uh, who coincidentally is a, a podcast that's all about this kind of thing. Uh, directors getting a big a big shot after making a, a massive hit. Uh, Blank Check is doing John Carpenter right now. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, they're just covering all his films. And I just wa I just finished watching Prince of Darkness today for their episode on Sunday. So I'm nice. very, very excited. Oh, they did an episode about Christine, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, uh, a, a listener sent us uh, a message about that, saying we should check it out. You should check it out. Uh, they're, the show is really good on top of that Christine episode. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Well, I, I didn't know that the... Uh... That they were making the movie the same time the book was being written. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, okay. you gotta you gotta love that kind of director author <laughs> uh, crossover. All right, Zach, you got some picks for us. 
Yeah, and I didn't necessarily um, go with huge like box office successes, but but movies that were very successful, and then the follow ups uh, either just didn't hit the mark, or like you said, they got too much creative control or something. Um, so uh, I also have to mention he- Heaven's Gate. You know, one of my favorite '90s websites um, from the cult. Uh, <laughs> I I check out the website every. Once every once a while, at least once a year, just because it's still live and, you know, somebody's maintaining it and you can go on there and read their exit statement. It's just so bizarre. Anyway, so... um, exit team, where are Nikes? Um, I know I'm I'm pretty sure I've got it right, Paul. You do not like Donnie Darko, right? <laughs> I hate Donnie Darko. <laughs> I like Donnie Darko and it was, you know, it was a success, at least, you know, for what it was. But then Southland Tales came out and was a piece of shit. So I, I, I'm doing that with uh, Richard Kelly. Oh, I can't believe so. you're just going to take pot shots at Newport News's own Richard Kelly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I got to I got to throw Kevin Smith out here. I'm going to say mall rats as much as I love mall rats when I was a teenager. It's you look at it now and it's uh, you can see it's probably a large reason for what he does now. It's also yeah, it's also a big bomb. Like mm. it did not do well at the box office. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I've got uh, two more here. Okay. Um, well, actually, I've got three. It looks like. <laughs> uh, I said the Coen Brothers with uh, you know, Man Who Wasn't There wasn't a huge hit, but it, that that and Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and then follow that up with Intolerable Cruelty and Lady Killers. That was kind of a weird time in their career. I feel like God, Lady was- Killers was so bad. I. Uh, <laughs> I like it a lot, but I have a soft spot for it, but it's not very good. You know, it, and then they is... followed up with No Country. It's like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I yeah. love Oh Brother Where Art Thou, man. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so good. That man movie... who wasn't there is really good, too. <sighs> yeah, I've never seen that. It's it's a uh, a noir throwback starring Billy Bob Thornton. It's it's interesting. It's one of their one of their more experimental films, and they definitely used the success of Fargo to get a, a few things greenlit as fast as they could. God, there's yeah. not enough noir. No, there's never yeah. enough well, noir. No, uh, well, this, uh, this is a, a full departure from what anything we're talking about, but I was having a conversation that uh, noir is making a giant comeback in podcasting yeah. because a lot of oh, people yeah, are yeah. creating audio dramas and that's, uh, and like true, most true crime podcasts are just modern day noir now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been watching Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Oh, it's so good! It's such a good show, and it's it has a real noirish quality to it, but in that Steve Martin vein. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got one last one here. I'm gonna um, kind of the oddball pick. I'm gonna see if I can get his name right. Uh, Florian Henkel von Donnerschmack or Donnerschmark. That's made up. <laughs> he. He directed The Lives of Others, which is one of the... Oh, that's a great film. It's, it's amazing. Um, and his follow-up was The Tourist with Johnny Depp. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? So that's, that's, I'm going to end on that note. Thanks. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring up my favorite swing and miss, uh, a film that I love and respect and think it's better than The Hit. Uh, and it's the Wachowski Speed Racer. Mm. I think it's no. better than the Matrix. <laughs> no. I think that movie is perfect in every single way. And I 
I watched it twice at the theater. Paul loves because. candy. Is it is it because you, were you a fan of the anime? I'm like, I'm a passing fan of the anime. I just it's just one of those films that's so hyper stylized that the second it started, my eyes were like, this is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen on film. <laughs> and I just went with the entire movie. And it it has its own like verisimilitude that you cannot break. Oh no, I've done mushrooms. I yeah. get it. <laughs> See, I, I always wondered if the people who loved that movie it, that there was if there was a nostalgia factor. I I I barely watched the anime as a kid. I think the anime is fine, but the movie the movie just takes what's good about the anime and then kind of hypes it up to eleven, so it makes a more cartoonish version of the cartoon. And again, it's just it's unbreakably good and i got to see it in imax too like true imax oh i bet that those effects i bet that was pretty amazing yeah i went to um uh the putnam in davenport iowa and caught it at the actual imax i was just like wall to wall just color it's yeah (laughs) i bet seeing it on a screen like that really changes it it really does and you know, that's not to say I don't love The Matrix. I think The Matrix is also a perfect film. I just happen to think Speed Racer is the Wachowski's best film. Can't wait for that new Matrix movie. Yeah, I'm also excited. It looks incredible. It's, I, man, I don't even know. I'm good. I mean, I'm going to watch it. I'm 100% I'm going to watch it. <laughs> they, they may have burned me on two and three, but I'll, I'll give that. I'll give The Matrix franchise as many chances as it wants. I still think two's really good. Which one has the? I like about which half. One has of it. the uh, orgasm pie? <laughs> is that two or three? Is that three? Oh, gosh, oh I, man, I haven't watched the sequels in such a long time. Uh, I, I bought them on Blu-ray and I haven't watched them on Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> I just remember that moment happening and the camera zooming in on that lady's crotch, and then it goes to all digital, and then the explosion happens, and I was just young enough to not get it right away. <laughs> And then it just it clicked, and I was like, "Oh God damn, that happened! All right, <laughs> now I'm horny for pie." I think I saw that in theaters with my in-laws, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you have anything else, Paul? Uh, <laughs> we talked about New York, New York last week. Oh, Martin Scorsese's yeah. big swing and miss after uh, cocaine binge. Uh, I had a joke and it died. Um, nice. I'm good at that. So anyway, um, much like most of the people in this movie. Hey, Segway. Oh, so I'm a professional podcaster. You, <laughs> you want to talk about a movie or did you want to mention something about New York, New York? Oh, I was just going to say, we talked about New York, New York on uh, last yeah. week's Thursday, which was mm-hmm. a big swing and miss for uh, Martin Scorsese after taxi driver. Yeah. Uh, just, Martin Scorsese getting a little too much money and freedom to <laughs> make a tribute to a old Hollywood musicals and not yeah. really capturing the feel of old Hollywood musicals or new Hollywood <laughs> gritty realism. Yeah. I mean, I mean, old Hollywood, I mean, cocaine wasn't really a thing yet, so I don't know what their drug of choice was. Maybe opium. I don't know. Probably. I mean, it was certainly no La La Land. Oh, <laughs> it, it was much. It was much better than La La Land. It's the same movie. Yeah, God, it's the same movie, but with people who can sing. 
Oh. All right. Let's talk about a movie. Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Zach McCoy. And joining us for this episode is a friend of the podcast and host of Dairy Public Radio, a Mr. Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. Hey, Josh. Thanks for coming by. Oh, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's nice of you to lie. And for not inviting Jonathan. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So Jonathan's not here this week because uh, he's an AI because it's in my writer. That Jonathan's not in episodes that I'm in. That's right. Uh, no, jo- <laughs> no Jonathan, no green m Um, He said, the room's too green. We don't need m ms uh, And that brings us back to, we are your Oscar Grouches, and welcome back to the Oscar Worthy Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, what film are we watching this week? Zach. We're watching The Deer Hunter, the story of three tight-knit friends whose lives are forever altered after fighting in Vietnam. All right. Is this everybody's first time? Or, yeah. Is this your first time seeing this movie? Yeah, it was my first time. No. No for me as well. Zach, do you remember the first time you watched this? Yes, I was uh, hmm, 21. Uh, I was working at a big box retail store at the time, and I... uh, swiped a copy of this from the <laughs> from the stock and ran out the door yeah. um that's your limitations they can't get you now right <laughs> um yeah so i watched it back then and um yeah i i i have some thoughts about how the years have marinated my life experiences have altered my second viewing so how about you paul um trying to remember if this is one of the ones that it was the afi watch or not i feel like i had seen it before then mm. but uh i guess that the answer is no i can't remember the first time i watched this movie okay so we'll just say the afi watch yeah in this 2005. is five leave it this there is, this is only my second time seeing it though so this is about maybe my fourth or fifth time seeing it so um let's get into an oscar breakdown all right Break it down. All right, so Deer Hunter. Oh no, uh, I, I skipped a little too far into the Oscar breakdown. Um, What's the weather is, like, Mister Workman? It is a Jonathanless April 9th, nineteen seventy nine. We're still at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California. Our host this evening is a first time Johnny Carson. Wow! Ooh, and he's bringing some weird, wild stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our most nominated films on the evening are The Deer Hunter and Heaven Can Wait. Our most awarded film on the evening, or they have, both have nine, and our most awarded film on the evening is Deer Hunter at five. Cinco. Cinco. Uh, best picture, of course, goes to Deer Hunter over Coming Home, Heaven Can Wait, giving Warren Beatty his first nomination on the night, Midnight Express, and An Unmarried Woman. Mm. She just kind of snuck in there. Very nice. <laughs> uh, 
Can I, I don't know, I don't want to jump the gun, but can I talk about one of the Oscars that it won? Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'm excited to hear your okay. opinions on it when we get there. All right. Um, okay, so uh, Michael Cimino wins Best Director for Deer Hunter, beating out Warren Beatty and Buck Henry for Heaven Can Wait, giving Warren Beatty his second Academy nomination on the night and uh, making Warren Beatty and Buck Henry only the second duo to be nominated for Best Director after uh, West Side Story. Oh. Unfortunately. I'm sorry to throw back. Uh, on Wizard of Oz, was there a nomination there, or did they just nominate Victor Fleming and forget the other people? I can't remember. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think Fleming got nominated for Wizard of Oz, because he, oh, he got Gone with the wind, wins for Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, best Actor goes to John Voight. For coming home, beating out Robert De Niro for The Deer Hunter. Best Actress goes to Jane Fonda for coming home. Uh, Best Supporting Actor goes to Christopher Walken for The Deer Hunter. Uh, And, oh, uh, sorry. Uh, Warren Beatty gets nominated for Best Actor, giving him his third nomination on the night. And we'll get back to that. Um, So Best Supporting Actor, Christopher Walken. Best Supporting Actress goes to Maggie Smith for California Suite. Yay! Making nice. her making her the only person to win an Oscar for playing a person who lost an Oscar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, best screenplay written directly for the screen, so they finally cleaned up the language. Oh. <laughs> There's no more. Or no, this is the adapted one that had the ridiculous. No, no. Yeah. One both, of these. Both of them have. They, they cleaned up the language on both of them. Yes. Um, so uh, best screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Coming Home, Beating Out the Deer Hunter. Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Midnight Express, giving Oliver Stone an Academy Award tonight. Mm-hmm. And he beats out Elaine May and Warren Beatty for Heaven Can Wait, making Warren Beatty the first person to be nominated for producer, director, actor, and screenplay in the same evening. Wow. Uh, the first would have been Orson Welles for Citizen Kane, but when they gave out the Academy Awards for Best Picture in the 1940s, they only gave it to the studio. They didn't give it to the producer. Uh, so he's garbage. Yep. Uh, yeah, just absolute trash. All right. Uh, best foreign language film goes to Get Out Your Handkerchiefs from France. Best documentary feature goes to Scared Straight! Exclamation <laughs> point. That, that, that TV show? The, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the MTV original. Uh, best documentary short subject goes to The Flight of the Gossamer Condor. Oh. Wow. Best, best live action short film goes to Teenage Father. <laughs> <laughs> Just any? Teenage Congratulations. Father. Any, uh, any Teenage Father. Uh, oh, that that Academy Award goes to Taylor Hackford, who you may know better as the director of The Devil's Advocate. No. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's insanity. <laughs> so I see. I I don't know enough about like behind the scenes movies and stuff. Like I don't. There's so many things that I, I get from listening to you guys talk about it on your show because there's so many names and stuff that I just I don't recognize. Uh, I'm I'm getting better 
at it uh the more i've gotten back into film but like some of like people's early work stuns me mm-hmm. yeah based on what i know them for yeah it's wild uh he also goes on to direct the movie ray but i thought the devil's advocate was God. a much better punchline yeah that's <laughs> what are you following then fathering them kids for <laughs> who are you carrying the bricks for who are <laughs> <laughs> Best animated short film goes to Special Delivery. Best original score goes to Midnight Express. And also brings us to our podcast within a podcast, John Williams Oscar Watch. John Williams inexplicably loses for the Superman score. Mm, Now, I know he won won for Star Wars the year before. and, And I know Jonathan's still trying to punch me in the face for saying that Annie Hall was a better movie than Star Wars. <laughs> He's not here, so. But the Superman score is better than the Star Wars score. Oh my God, the Superman score is awesome. It's amazing. When I was looking at the movies from this year, I realized I've only seen Superman from this year. <laughs> I'm like looking up all the Oscars you know, and I was like, yep, that's the only one I recognize. You haven't, you haven't seen The Wiz? No. Dude, you have to see The Wiz. I, have, I told you, man, I have such large gaps in my movie-watching experience. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm thankful for doing this podcast. I'm filling in a lot of gaps. And I posted a picture of a bunch of the movies that I own from this year missing Superman, and Paul called me out on it. But I actually, <laughs> I, own, I, own, I own the Superman so- soundtrack on vinyl, so that's one thing I do. Nice. I have that Blu-ray set that has the four Christopher Reeve films and then the... Um, Superman Returns, mm. which is a film that I think gets a little too much shit. I think it's really <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to watch because, of course, it was directed by a uh, uh, child rapist Brian Singer, yeah, director of John, uh, uh, director of Josh's favorite movie. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> uh, it's also thanks to you. I correct everyone, and whenever they say Brian Singer, I correct them and say serial rapist Brian Singer. There. Yes. <laughs> I was I trying remember to remember I, I was trying to remember the term so I wouldn't yeah. child rapist but yeah serial rapist was exactly the, the way it should be said every time yeah. he is brought up SRBS SRBS I remember that drinking age movies before I was involved with <laughs> podcasting <laughs> yeah I'm sorry that he keeps getting brought up on uh, every single episode <laughs> we do together Josh <laughs> all right uh Best adaptation score goes to the Buddy Holly story, again, inexplicably beating Quincy Jones' score for The Wiz. The Wiz is that, rules. Is that the Gary Busey movie? Yes, that's the Gary Busey movie. It's a really good movie. I've seen part of it, but wow. I had a friend who was in a touring version of the play, uh, and he played the big bopper. Hmm. <laughs> is that a James, st- James a Fairchild? Oh! Oh, right. I remember him being on tour. I just didn't know what show he was in. Yeah, he, I mean, he was he was also in a tour of Kinky Boots. <laughs> God. It's a great play. <laughs> All right. Uh, best original song goes to Last Dance from Thank God It's Friday. Uh, beating out When You're Love from The Magic of Lassie. Wow. <laughs> Done by the Sherman Brothers. Yeah, go with those brothers again. They're, they're just kicking around. Uh, best sound Goes to the deer hunter. That's not the one Josh wanted to talk about. There were certainly sounds. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it is not the one that I want to talk about. Uh, best costume design goes to Death on the Nile, inexplicably beating out the Wiz. Uh, best art direction goes to Heaven Can Wait, inexplicably beating out the Wiz. <laughs> I love the Wiz. Uh, best cinematography goes to Days of Heaven, the uh, Terrence Malick film. And that, oh, yeah. Okay, that's the one the Wiz deserved to lose because. <laughs> uh, but uh, it also beats out Vil- Vilmos Zygmunt for The Deer Hunter, mm. who, of course, won for uh, Third Kind, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind last year. Wow, man, my brain is on something tonight. <laughs> well, and better this than This is mine. the one I have to assume Josh wants to talk about. Uh, Deer Hunter picks up best film editing. I've never disagreed with a statement harder in my <laughs> life. I will die on this Vietnam Hill. This does not deserve best Oscar for film editing. <laughs> a, an editor could have cut an hour off of this movie and nothing would have changed. We will get there. <laughs> because now I got to do the honorary awards okay so honorary awards turning to the big book of oscar trivia go to walter lance for bringing joy and laughter to every part of the world through his unique animated motion pictures oh the museum of modern art department of film for the contribution it has made to the public's perception of movies as an art form yeah to sir lawrence olivier for the full body of his work for his unique achievements of his entire career and his lifetime of contribution to the art of film. Okay. To King Veter for his incomparable achievements as a cinematic creator and innovator. And to Linwood G. Dunn, Lauren L. Ryder, and Walden O. Watson, an appreciation for outstanding service and dedication and upholding the high standards of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. Go, you guys. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Gene Herschelt Award goes to Leo Jaffe. And finally, our special achievement award for the evening goes to Les Bowie, Colin Chilvers, Dennis Coop, Roy Field, Derek Meddings, and Zoran Perisic for the visual effects of Superman. Nice. Good note to end on. Yeah. So those are our Oscars. Okay. So let's talk, let's talk about a movie. Yeah. This movie. This movie, The Deer Hunter. All right. I think oh. this film's perfect. <laughs> God. <laughs> I, I, so I will say, as I mentioned earlier, my film knowledge is not is nearly as great. So my brain automatically associates De Niro with like mafia movies and Christopher Walken with comedy. Mm-hmm. That is where they live in my brain. So them in this movie was definitely awesome to watch because like this is this was a chance to watch two actors going for it and i love that so i have to make a little bit of a a a confession to you is that uh i i asked you to come on this episode which is why i didn't ask why you chose (laughs) (laughs) to come on this episode uh i asked you to come on this episode because i listened to the dairy public radio criticism of uh, one of the greatest films of all time, The Dead Zone. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and I could not believe the things that were were permeating my ear holes. <laughs> so I had you, I had to have you watch another great Christopher Walken. Yeah. Well, his hair was 10 times better in this. Th- that's fair. His hair was yeah. not nearly as distracting. He was, uh, you know, 
given off his um Scarlett Johansson vibes in this one. You know, they they <laughs> they, they they vibe together in that way. To be fair, Christopher Walken does spend the third act having no dialogue. Yeah. And when Christopher Walken face acts, he face acts his face off. And mm. and he is as gaunt as Leland. Mm-hmm. So it's just a Amen. fucking skeleton with eyeballs. When you can when you can tell the story of what this person's been through since the last time you saw them by just a physical description and how they carry themselves, it's masterful. Yeah. Mm. And Walken doesn't need a single word in nope. in his reintroduction. Just be like, who boy, he's been through some shit. And nope. coupled with how much money he was sending his friend yeah. in the hospital, you're like, <laughs> which dynamite reveal. Yeah. God, what a great yeah. reveal. There's so many amazing things about this movie. Robert De Niro in a trucker cap, not one of them. <laughs> um, that, that's how you show somebody's a working class hero. You just pop a Mack truck hat. Full disclosure, them. didn't realize it was him for like a full few minutes. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching this conversation and I'm like, Robert De Niro's in this. He's got that weird facial hair too. <laughs> and, then, and then he like, tur- he takes this the one turn to camera and I was like, get out of here with that hat. <laughs> can't handle it <laughs> send it home there's been a few mm-hmm. times where i've cut my facial hair that way just like because of this movie just for <laughs> for fun for like you know a few days and then I'll fix it. yeah I've, I've done the foo man chops before where i just kind of shaved <laughs> my chin the jackie look brown like, yeah look like rutherford b hayes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well i haven't said my thoughts yet i think the movie's great I I do think um, I I probably agree with the editing. I feel like uh, although I don't know if it's like intentional to kind of represent some sort of mental state or something, but the movie's not always as cohesive as it could be. I don't really mind it much. It probably could be fifteen or twenty minutes shorter for me, but but I I don't think there's anything wasted. I I know that I think uh, this is Chimino. Is that how you pronounce his Chimino? Yeah. Chimino. I know he fought really hard to keep a lot of the wedding stuff in, but I think that's probably in the end, that's where I feel maybe the movie goes a little long, although it's really important to be for the humanity of the whole thing. Yeah. He he was apparently only supposed, (laughs) he was only supposed to shoot about 20 minutes of the wedding. That (laughs) wedding goes on for 12 years. The war's (laughs) over by the time that wedding's over. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Saigon happens. I mean, and and I, I'm, I'm definitely, on board with the I, I like when a movie will take its time like really letting you settle into the world especially knowing all i knew going into this movie was that it was a vietnam movie that was it i knew nothing else so i at the time i really enjoyed like taking the time seeing everybody happy seeing the you know these classic russian actors playing classic russian people right um really selling that russian heritage um uh even watching one of the actors punch a woman on the dance floor mm-hmm. also a great moment yeah uh, finding out he hits like a bitch she pops right back up ready to go <laughs> gotta gotta no sell those punches <laughs> right i just it, by the time we got to the end of it when i realized oh so much of that wedding actually didn't mean anything i do wish they would have like chopped some of it down a little bit i'll say it it, it could be a little tighter um 
but I really appreciate living in that moment. Like, especially like the, you know, the eye exchanges between Nero and Meryl Streep's characters. Like, that does build a lot. They, they really, I fuck the shit out of each other in this first <laughs> act. <laughs> uh, can I ask you guys uh, if you can remember from the first time you watched it, um, the, until we got to the wedding, I thought that it was going to be, I didn't realize it was going to be a one-on-one wedding. I legitimately thought that it was like, I'm going to be a mass wedding before all these people went off to Vietnam. Cause I know that that happened places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it turned out to be just one wedding, I was legitimately shocked. <laughs> well, um, I thought maybe, uh, you know, Walken's character and Streep's character were going to get married because they're having mm-hmm. a conversation, but then it didn't, you know, it didn't happen. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I, before we move on past the wedding too, I have to shout out the uh, the Russian folk song featured, uh, also known to many as the Tetris theme. I, I thought that, <laughs> that was pretty sweet. I, I forgot it was a you know a Russian folk song. Yeah, so that was cool. Ha, have you ever seen that that YouTube video that's that song, but about the rise and fall of communism? Uh uh-uh. uh no. Almost oh my god! There's this amazing video where it's just this guy and he's like using Tetris as a metaphor for the rise and fall of communism. <laughs> uh, it's pretty amazing. Okay. I don't know what the name of it is. I'm writing it down. I'll look it up. Perfect. Uh, I, if I can ask you guys your, your take on another scene okay. in this yeah. wedding, the scene in the bar where De Niro is like harassing the soldier. What mm-hmm. was your guys' take on that scene? I feel like he's trying to find some comfort from that man. Like, at least in, in, in a way of like, hey, how are things over there? Like, tell me, tell me the good news because I'm about to go over there. <laughs> yeah. Please, dear God, give me some good news. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out specifically if uh, Meryl Streep's father was a World War II vet. Yeah just because of the way he acts, because I feel like that would tie into that a little bit more where he is volatile and broken. And here's a man from a war that is looked at very gloriously. Yeah. And now these young men are about to go off to this war that in hindsight is not looked at the same, but was treated very much the same by, by certain people. Yeah, like when you're getting ready to go anyway, the glory of going to serve and what they remember. Like if we were going to be covering like Born on the Fourth of July, Mm. Tom Cruise's character in that really sells this whole, my father had his war and I went into the military. So now I get my war. I get to come back and be a hero and treated like, you know, I I saved the entire world. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not how this war is looked at in hindsight. Now, this I, I went. I looked at the timeline. So this wedding scene takes place in 1967, mm-hmm. and the movie came out 1978. Eight. So, uh, do either of you know when exactly that public perception on Vietnam turned? Because it wasn't looked it, at. That wasn't looked at like a negative thing immediately. I mean, a. Probably 68, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I, Martin Luther King t- took a stand against. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, so the, we, we are seeing 
them go to war just as the tide is turning. I think so, yeah. That is um, it's an interesting placement be, for this. Because, because Vietnam is the first war that's really played out on TV. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the public reception on it sours pretty quickly. Um, and with the youth counterculture really starting to take hold in the late 60s, and the way New Hollywood starts taking over, uh, Vietnam isn't very popular with young people. Mm-hmm. On top of which, it, you know, something like World War II, young men were really excited to go fight. There was, there was a cause, there was a real threat, and we were attacked. So it was a very popular thing to do. Yeah. Whereas... Vietnam institutes the draft and the draft becomes very unpopular. So yeah, by the time Woodstock comes around in 1969, the, the public perception of the war is just in the trash. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're talking about that interaction specifically. I mean, the guy, what's he just says, fuck it. Isn't that what he says? He just yeah, saying, pretty much it. like, like <laughs> they really like, they want to buy him shots. They want to like make him party. And he's, not having it and de niro gets so angry that he has to hang dong later (laughs) like that's like that's what the moment like starts de niro's downward spiral until he ends up streaking through town right uh but i i just i i wasn't sure if there was something i i like the scene i do think of the things that could have been cut out of that wedding probably could have cut that but I, I, I felt like uh, maybe I was missing something. I really think it's a, a matter of him trying to ensure that he made the right decision, to convince himself uh, that he yeah. made the right decision. Because him, uh, him and his two friends who go, they're, the idea of them going is very nerve-wracking to... Um, what's the name of the friend that's getting married? John Steve. Savage's character. Steve. Steve? Yeah, yeah, Stevie. It's Stevie's... Stevie's mother is not happy about this. Right. And, you know, she's the only parent that we really hear from. Uh, but she's not happy about it at all. So I can only assume that nobody's really happy about it. The scary thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But then De Niro, like you said, he ends up streaking through the, down the street, like saying, what are we doing? Like, what essentially, what have we done? He's found no comfort in, in this soldier. And now he just has no will to to leave for vietnam yeah yeah fuck it fuck it (laughs) i did like that that scene with the two of them like down after walking just throws his coat over his junk and sits there (laughs) and talks to them like i thought that was a real like a nice real moment after the high nonsense that was the party portion of the wedding Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a very human film. Yeah. And it finds... I thought all of them were going to war. I didn't realize it was just going to be three of them because I was really hoping Stan was going to die. Well... <laughs> I hate Stan. Uh, Stan was John Cazale's character? Yeah. Yeah. The guy who well, punches the woman on the dance floor. That's right. Oh, well, he... John Cazale dies before this film comes out, so... Oh, that's a bummer. Good, good job, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you manifest what you want. Yeah. Well... <laughs> John Cazale, who was in five movies that were all nominated for Best Picture. And like you said, Paul, you know, Meryl Streep's romantic partner. And she only got, she got onto this movie 
pretty much just to be with him in his final months, I guess. Like she was written into the movie to support him is what I read. Oh, really? He had uh, lung uh, lung cancer. Oh, my goodness. Terminal by the time he like signed on to do the movie. And I know they kind of shifted some of the scenes that were filmed to make sure all his stuff was filmed or filmed. Up yeah, they, they filmed everything he did first. Yeah. And then he died before production wrapped. I mean, he finished his parts, but. So. Yeah. And that, he did that, arguably have the most fun part in the movie. <laughs> what? As far as being able to be an asshole the entire time. Oh, he's yeah. just He's just a piece of shit. Yeah. He's <laughs> a real piece of shit. So many. Uh, but, you know, that's one thing I didn't know about the movie the first time I watched it. Because I wasn't really, you know, in-depth knowledge of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, I, I'd recognize him from having seen, you know, the Godfather films. But um, watching it now and a lot of the, the shots where he's like in the foreground, like I'm thinking, are they shooting it this way? Because they know he's dying too. This movie's like, it's both a Vietnam and his personal death kind of movie. To me, it's like, it's hard not to see it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That makes the, the shot when he's like adjusting his tie in the glass that's shattered that's like cracked right by him mm-hmm. i was like I, th- I remember seeing that and i made a note about it because i thought oh is this gonna be is this some like ominous foreshadowing and it turns <laughs> out it is just not I, the way i thought it was gonna be i believe you guys on your show have a better term for that uh yes delicious foreshadowing there you go mm. <laughs> um yeah and, and i like i like living with these characters i like getting to know them and i, I think I think Chimino's especially inspired by the Godfather with how long he takes on the wedding scene, because a lot of people don't realize how long the wedding and the Godfather goes on, but they intercut that with a lot of the meetings with Don Corleone. So, yeah. And then just the Vietnam stuff. Yeah. I, the sharp turn was not what I was expecting. <laughs> it, it really goes, it really goes from this kind of pensive, drama about a couple of friends about to leave their hometown for what feels like the first time to holy shit we're in a nightmare (laughs) to a man throwing a grenade in a bunker of women and children (laughs) and then getting flamethrowered in the face yeah i would yeah i was not expecting the shift to high violence yeah yeah um i think about you know in one way i feel like the film could use more vietnam stuff in another i'm glad it doesn't from again i'm sitting from a modern perspective and we'll talk about this next week with where i'm going from because i think if it had too much of it it would lessen a movie that comes out next year but together they're really good um double features if you have that much time (laughs) yeah god that's so much time (laughs) says the person who's watched this four times it's fair (laughs) i like three hour movies what could i say (laughs) Like, if you if you could have seen Zach, if you could have seen more out of the Vietnam, what would you have wanted to see? Do you think? Um, sort of some maybe a little bit of lead up about maybe when they first did get there, like maybe just like five minutes of okay, they're in Vietnam and they're arriving, and maybe they meet some other guys that are there already. Um, literally just like a few minutes of that would have we could still have that abrupt cut to the violence, but maybe out of after a few minutes of them arriving and adjusting. I, I like that everything that we see from the war is violent and messy. I like that, that 
I mean, overall, the film's not really about Vietnam. Yeah. Right. Vietnam is just the backdrop for the wider scope of the horrors of war. Yeah. It just so happens that Vietnam is the most recent and a very unpopular war. So it's an easy war to take shots at, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that we're just immediately dumped into violence. And then we go from this violent scene. We don't even see them get captured. They're just yeah. there. And then the next thing you know, they, they're prisoners of war and being forced to play a horrific game of Russian roulette. Yeah. Which, of course, just becomes a central metaphor for war. Like, you're not supposed to take the Russian roulette necessarily literally. So I was wondering if it was a thing that apparently happened or if it, if it so, is just more of a story vehicle. That's a big debate. The hmm. uh, most, most people have firmly come on the side of it never happened. Russian roulette wasn't a thing uh, it, in this war. And Michael Cimino without any evidence has just been like, it happened. Just trust me on this. <laughs> <laughs> what was the punchline to that joke you told me earlier, Paul? Oh, uh, what the, how, how many Vietnam vests does it take to screw a light bulb? Yeah. I don't Josh, know. How many? I don't know. Three, three. You don't know. You weren't there. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, oh that's, that's the line of line of thinking with the Russian relay, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm going to hell. If it exists. Yeah. <laughs> This movie, I, I posted about it that uh, now I understand the headbands playing Russian roulette as a pop culture reference because I've seen it in so many things, but I never knew where it came from. Right. Mm -hmm. And my God, is that scene just so intense. Yeah. And apparently that, that dude that was running the game was just a guy they picked up because the actor that they, they had wouldn't actually smack Robert De Niro or uh, God. Christopher Ow. Walken. So they, they picked up this guy who was not very fond of Americans and <laughs> smacked the shit out of them. What? <laughs> those smacks. Mm -hmm. That was like, like I felt those smacks. <laughs> yeah, they're so yeah. good. Yeah. So again, uh, the Russian roulette is just kind of a central metaphor about how war tends to have uh, a very randomness to its violence and it, it it doesn't matter who's chosen violence just like death is just going to come for you when death comes for you uh, and you know that you're in this situation and that your probability of death is very high but you don't know if it's going to happen especially when there's heroin involved <laughs> 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 that's a uh... That's more of a conversation for the movie Dead President. <laughs> mm. Mm. The De Niro's plan, though, like I, I was super excited when he kind of, you know, tells Walken, we're going to make sure it's you, you and me just go with me on this. And it goes that first round. And I was like, all right, I'm with it. And then De Niro lets it go a full another round. And I was like, good God, man. <laughs> yeah, you're like. Right. You really let it ride on on three out of six shots. Yeah, like yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> it really ratchets up a lot of tension. Yeah, yeah. But that is that escape is probably one of the best escapes I've ever seen. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah, yeah. It, and I, 
I may have put it on. We did a we did a cold open that was best prison escapes, and I may have oh. put it on there, but I yeah. don't like putting uh, best pictures in those categories. There, yeah, yeah. And I I want to say one thing about you know obviously walking is amazing in this, and you know, most people like uh, Josh said are familiar with him as with comedies or you know kind of weird kind of action stuff that he's done. Um. But he's so good, so emotional. Like the the scene at the hospital, like when he can't speak and like yeah. fucking break your heart. And I think this is I haven't seen everything De Niro's done up to this point. We've covered a lot of him on the podcast. Um and obviously as Vito, uh Godfather two, he shows a lot of emotion. But this is one of the ones he's kind of breaking that mold of um asshole characters he's been playing i mean he has a little bit of asshole to him but he's also got a little bit of depth and wisdom and it's nice seeing him play a basically overall a good guy after like seeing him in taxi driver and um new york new york where <laughs> yeah. I, I legitimately did not like him in new york new york so he is very unlikable in that film yeah i mean to see him go from like emotional highs but being kind of the the leader of the group right and taking that role very seriously maybe too seriously and then you get to vietnam and you see where those leadership skills have set him and how it's how it how just kind of being the the uh surrogate father to these these other men help him mentally get through this torture and lead his two friends to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the helicopter, like loading them on the helicopter and them clinging to the bottom of it as it's taking off. Yeah. Like, God, that was, I, I had no idea if they were going to make it or not. I was authentically trying to figure out if one of the two of them was going to eat it right then. Yeah. Uh, apparently they almost actually did. So what? <laughs> when they hit that, uh, when they, went by that little rope bridge. Yeah. Uh, they apparently got a little too close for it for John Savage <gasps> and, and Robert De Niro. And the two of them had to, f- when they jump into the water, that was yeah? part of that. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. And just like dragging Christopher Walken to shore and like, just man kicking ass. Yeah. Anybody have any other specific thoughts they want to talk about? I would say I, I really love the third act. I think the third act's the strongest act of the film. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it is. I think watching these three men have three separate uh, reactions to their situation, the, the exact same situation, mm-hmm. is very intriguing. I will say I was not expecting the Russian roulette to return for fun and profit. I say yeah. fun with with the quotes around big, it, big air quotes. Yeah, I just I the fact that. <laughs> when that opportunity presents itself to Christopher Walken, I I was not expecting him to like steer into it. And, and again, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's not the literal uh, Russian roulette. That is mm-hmm. the point. It's, it's how random that uh, like PTSD and depression become uh 
such a burden to a lot of vets, especially in Vietnam, because like that just a war that a lot of people weren't ready for. Right. Yeah. It's it says says that he never actually left the war. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you physically keep him in Vietnam and have him playing this game of chance where, you know, if these men don't get the help that they need and they deserve that, that we owe them as a society, that the randomness of this violence is just going to continue. And, and, you know, I, I made the offhand comment about heroin, but that's something else. I also didn't really notice the first time of watching when De Niro grabs his arms and you see the tracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. That, um, all all sorts of fucked up yeah and then poor john savage just would rather would rather spend his days in a hospital around people who understand him than be with his wife and child yeah i was not expecting him to be so messed up when you see him that was such a shock to me yeah yeah i thought maybe one leg but damn two both legs and an arm like that's just that's brutal. And then you're like, I feel like I'm feeling so bad for De Niro when he's avoiding the welcome home party. And I don't know the term for it and I'm blanking on it, but drawing that, like, I guess false equivalence of like, you feel bad for him because even though he's physically healthy, he's, he doesn't want to celebrate being home right but when you stand when you put these three people next to each other they're each suffering you can't compare the suffering because they're very different kinds of suffering yeah and and everybody's everybody's pain is is valid Mm -hmm. exactly and i think that's exactly what chimino has in mind when he shows these three different stories like he he's very outwardly looks fine and, you know, a lot of people have a hard time understanding the way he reacts to things. Like when uh, John Cazal pulls out the gun in the, the hunting shack. Oh, my God. And he points it at his friend and De Niro just goes off the handle and everybody looks at De Niro like, what's wrong with you? Well, we got to see what was wrong with him. But that's a hard thing to understand if you didn't go. Yeah. A year, a year ago, you would have laughed at him pointing a gun at someone. Yeah. You know, on, on this last trip. Yeah, so so then the other two look physically different. They're obviously suffering to the mm-hmm. human eye. I'm I'm really glad that uh I mean, yes, uh De Niro and Meryl Streep uh, have like have an affair. Um, but I'm glad that they didn't romanticize that relationship because Christopher yeah. Walken is still out there. Mm-hmm. Um and and they're in the beginning when you see them at the wedding and they're really, you know, eye boning each other real strong, like that is, that's a lustful relationship. And then you see this relationship come back after all this. And it is less even about their feelings for each other. And it's more about having somebody fill that emotional void. Yeah. Cause just, they're both missing a piece of themselves. Just, just needing that comfort from the touch mm-hmm. of another human being. Yeah. yeah. It's Yeah. That's why Meryl Streep's the fucking most amazing woman. Like she sells, she sells all of that heartbreak with a total of 10 lines of dialogue, the entire goddamn movie. 
I, I forgot to mention Meryl Streep got nominated for Best Supporting Actress Yeah, in The Breakdown, which was her first Academy Award nomination. And this podcast, what is it? Podcast. Yep. <laughs> strongly, uh, strongly off the back of writing a lot of her own dialogue, too. Like, yeah. she was given this character that was next to nothing on the page. And yeah. when she got brought in, Shimino was just like, all right, make, make the character yours. That's insanity. I, I never would have guessed. It's really yeah. like... She was in that movie, Julia. You you watched Julia, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is like her second real big movie, I guess. I, I think it's her second Hollywood film. Like she did a, like a, a TV miniseries. Yeah. It's wild to think about that, you know. I mean, from a modern perspective, again, when we know what she is now. and Yeah, you don't often see people like that just hitting it out of the park right from this, the top of their mainstream career. Yeah, like to have a very, very small role in Julia to being in this mm-hmm. and essentially owning the third act of this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's so good at this movie. You know, a lot of people, some people still like I was, uh, I have a regular DVD copy of this and I'm going to upgrade to Blu ray finally. <laughs> and I was reading just like some quick reviews of it and people are like, Oh, the ending, them singing God Bless America is so un-American. I don't like this movie. It's like, I think you missed the point of the whole thing. And then... Also, they're Russian. It's ironic. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget these classically Russian actors. That's right. I mean, who are? It's what, like that. Maybe it's just because I'm looking at this movie purely from a modern lens. Um. And just how that has been something that has been problematic in Hollywood uh, a long, long time is casting people who are not appropriate for the, for the roles in that way. When you right. have talented Russian American actors who could be playing these authentically Russian characters, you just yeah. didn't have that back in the seventies. Like nobody cared about that. They cared about the names you could attach to it. And yeah. studios had like, we like this guy, put this guy in everything. Right. Mm. I mean, it's it's still a a problem these days. Mm-hmm. It's becoming less of one, thankfully. Yeah, as we're getting, as we became more aware of it as a culture, we're we're getting better about it for sure. I mean, but I'll never too be too angry about you know a white person playing a different kind of white person. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I the nothing, no circumstance in the entire world. Will you ever make me believe that Robert De Niro is a Russian man? <laughs> it's just, it's not possible. Especially when he's played very, very, <laughs> very like, notable Italian characters. Yeah. <laughs> Has one Academy Award for playing possibly the most celebrated Italian character in, <laughs> in what American is, cinema. Uh, what is your take on the, that ending with the, the singing God Bless America? It's one of those takes I've gone back and forth on where it it feels a little ironic at times because, you know, they're essentially out of wake for their friend. But at the same time, it it feels like one of those. I'm what else think would how, you do I, in that moment? I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. think of how to phrase it. Like America is an imperfect nation and we're still growing as a nation and we're like a bicentennial at this point and the imperfections don't make the nation bad, but they're still there and you need to 
you need to look at the imperfections as well as what does work and try to be better. I, I think the, the beauty of the ending is that it's really up to interpretation. He put it in there for a reason, but I, I don't specifically know it. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with not knowing exactly why that song is there. Just that it's there and it's a very emotional moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the first, uh, you know, sitting there, I'm like, is it, is it heavy handed? No, I don't think so. I mean, because, you know, Steve's wife, I, I forget her name, so I, I'm sorry to call her Steve's wife, but she's just like, <laughs> what a great day. And everybody's just like, yeah, okay, what do we say? So, I mean, what else are you going to do in that moment? It's it's fucked up. You're not going to sit there and talk about, ooh, these, these food is wonderful. Uh, sing something in honor of your friend and maybe make a statement and reflection. But Yeah, and then end in freeze frame. Uh, oh, God, if... There is a 100% chance if you end something in a freeze frame, my brain won't automatically fill in the Full House theme song. Okay. Yeah. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Because no. that's just like every time I see a freeze frame, I just, everywhere you look, <laughs> pops right in my head and there's nothing I can do to stop it. There's some death. Body <laughs> surround you. Do you, uh, I, I, I went back and forth on whether I kind of wish they would have sang something in Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think, I mean, you look at this cast and you can easily forget their, their Orthodox Russian immigrants. Right. right. Uh, even if they're uh, first generation Americans based on when their parents immigrated. Um, and they, I mean, they have their, their shots, their, their glasses of vodka uh, which, you know, we see, we saw them doing the toasts and doing all that at the wedding. I feel like if they'd brought it around, that really would have tied a bow on the full circle coming from the wedding to the wake. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and how nice would it have been if it was God bless America and Russia? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but do you, yeah. do you think people would have missed it? It's got well, a noticeable then, enough melody maybe. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, we talked about the wake, but like I, as again, as people who have much more film knowledge than I do, um, do you guys remember how you thought that Russian, that final Russian roulette scene was going to end? I was always pretty sure it was going to end with him dying. Like one of them had to, it, it drives home the, the metaphor. a, a much more if, if at least one of them dies. And at that point where it, feels disingenuous to be De Niro and John Savage is already so far gone that killing him just feels like a little too far. Yeah. But yeah. the moment, the moment I, you see his face and the moment you like, like I said earlier with the money, you realize how much he's been doing this. It's coming for him at some point. Mm-hmm. And that point had to be on screen. Yeah. yeah. You know, I kind of thought the moment, you know, he's trying to kind of get away. And that one guy's like, no, come on, come on before he, you know, gets into the drugs and, and the, and the game. Um, at that moment, I was like, yeah, something is not going to go well for him. Um, my first time watching, I was like, either walking is going to do himself or like turn on De Niro and like hold some animosity towards him or something. But, and and I like, you know, we hadn't talked about the, the actual deer hunting at all in the deer hunter. <laughs> um, 
but I really like that coming back around to the conversation they have in the first act where he's talking about having to kill a deer in one shot. One shot. And then him trying to bring walking back to this earth by like, Hey, you remember the mountains and you remember the, this and that, and that. And then he looks at him, he says one shot and then shoots himself. And God just, it's so quick. Yeah. And, and then De Niro not shooting that, that bucket, like point blank range. That kill was easily his and he mm-hmm. could have taken it, but yeah, he lets that um, deer live, and it went on to star in Connecticut Life Insurance Company commercials. <laughs> I'm reading that on Wikipedia. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, if can I uh, steer this back to Stephen King because it's what I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're covering uh, the Dreamcatcher on the show right now, and uh, I don't know if either of you have ever read it. Uh, I've never seen the movie, so I don't know if this translates movie-wise, a moment that I'm going to talk about. I've only seen the movie, so no, I haven't okay. read the book. Um, so Jonesy, one of the main characters in like the prologue where you're introduced, is hit by a car crossing the street. And it like he, he ends up dying twice uh, in the ambulance before they get him. And like he has to learn how to walk and talk again. Like it's it's brutal. It's a brutal accident. Right. And they go on this yearly hunting trip, these four friends. And uh, the, this, the year where the main story takes place, he's climbed a tree. He's in a deer blind um, because he has realized that he was, he, he doesn't know that he died twice uh, in the ambulance until later. Um, so at this point he doesn't know. He just knows that he was so close to death that the idea of bringing death upon something else is something he's not interested in. Mm. So he, he goes up in the deer blind and he says, I, my friends think it's because, you know, in the cold, my hip where it was surgically repaired hurts. In reality, I, he brings a book up there with him and he just reads his book in the deer blind. Cause he's never going to take a shot at a deer again. Yeah. And I felt like that having been reading that, and watching this, that moment where he has that buck so close, like I could feel all of that in him of mm-hmm. like not wanting to take another life for literally any reason. Yeah. Yeah. I like that connection. Yeah. That's, I see that very much. All right. Anybody have any other notes on this film? Um, I think that's it for this film specifically. I have uh, the notes that, uh, that guy Jonathan, if he were here, might uh, bring up the box office for the year. Anybody want to guess what the top film for 1978 was at the box office? I guess my best guess is Superman. Yeah, I'd guess Superman. Uh, Superman uh, tops off next year. I don't know if it's a late release in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but for 78, <laughs> it's Grease. <laughs> oh, Greece! Yeah, fuck. Oh my god. Okay, I have um, seen Greece. I have I, seen movies that existed in this year. I, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on Greece. Yeah, Deer Hunter was a late release, like December. It was, it was one of like I was also reading the notes here where it talks about is one of the films that kind of created the end of year push for Oscar releases. Yeah, so they they released it for a week in like New York and LA like they yeah. do with things now where it's like in select theaters opening mm. wide in January. Yeah. That was, this movie started that. Yeah. So it made like holes. <laughs> <laughs> it made like 49 million, which would have qualified for a top 10 spot 
Uh, but I won't talk too much more about 1979 because we'll. Get there, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Star Wars is a holdover that's still in the top 10. Yeah. Um, also, uh, this film is directly responsible for the creation of the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the woman who spearheaded it off the top of my head, but uh, she saw this film and was like, yeah, let's uh, let's get some money for that and <laughs> created the Vietnam Wall in wow. D.C. That's amazing. Yeah. And no, I think some of the cast from this was at the dedication. OK, speaking of D.C., is this movie in the Library of Congress? It certainly is. OK. All right. So you guys want to give me a year? Yeah. Josh, know the rules? I don't. I know. I know it's Price is Right rules. Okay, so essentially, uh, the Library of Congress starts the National Film Registry in 1989. It's the first class of films that go in. So now you're going to guess what year this got inducted into the National Film Registry, starting from 1989, where you think it got in from there. 1997. Ooh, I'm Zach wins the price is right. You guys are on either side of 1996. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> both ah, so close. That's hilarious. So wow. Zach, you, you still sit at one on this show and one on Thursdays. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So our national film registry films for 1978 are days of heaven. The Terrence Malick film, mm-hmm. deer hunter, girlfriends, Greece, which gets in just in 2020. So that's a, the last class so far. Mm. Uh, I'm very excited to see what the 2021 class is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Halloween. Nice. Speaking of Giant Carpenter. Uh, Killer of Sheep, which was a film that I really wanted to watch this week, but forgot to. Uh, because it is the earliest inducted this, uh, for 1978. It goes in in 1990. Wow. Wow. I haven't seen yeah. it either, so... Uh, what is the, what is the criteria? Sorry to cut you off. What is the criteria they look at for adding movies to this list? It's it's essentially films that are artistically or socially relevant, culturally, uh, aesthetically, or artistically important. I think is the terms they use. There you go. Gotcha. Uh, and it's uh, the criteria, the lone criteria outside of that for getting in is that it has to be ten years old. Gotcha. Um. The Martin Scorsese directed documentary, The Last Waltz, which will be our Thursday episode this week. So, Zach, you'll be guessing that tomorrow. Okay. Uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. Oh, wow. Uh, Hell yeah. And Superman. Nice. Went in in 2017, which is rude. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh. So is it time for worsty judgments? It is time for our worsty judgments. All right. So Zach's going to ask us some questions. Take it away. Yeah. So the first question we asked Josh is, did this film deserve best picture? Okay. <sighs> Given that I haven't seen the other movies, um, I, I will say with the exception of, the the three hour runtime this movie is amazing like there's so much emotion and it's so beautifully acted and beautifully shot uh yeah i think it definitely earned its spot 
Okay. So I'll go next and let Paul finish. I'll, if that's all right. Um, I'll say, you know, this is another week where I didn't get, I didn't get to watch the other nominees. I watched bits and pieces of them just to get the feeling so I could finish them um, later, but not even Midnight Express. I didn't get to watch that. I want to talk about that with Paul, but um, I will say that I think Days of Heaven is a perfect movie also. Um, should have been nominated and interiors and even though we don't talk about that guy so much is a great movie uh um, you mean um alvy singer alvy singer yeah his first <laughs> kind of serious don't say woody allen on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's his first kind of serious work and i really like it um but yeah i think this is a incredible movie and it absolutely deserved best picture so all what did you get to do this week I watched all of the movies. Yay! At least all the all the best picture nominees. All right, brag. Did this one deserve <laughs> it? All right. So, uh, ranking them, we're going to start at my least favorite, which was Midnight Express. I did not like that movie. I did not have fun watching it. I don't think it's very good. It had a really good soundtrack. The score was incredible. Uh, I don't know that it deserved to be Superman for best score, though. Mm. Uh, it reminded me a lot of a John Carpenter score. So I, I, of course I enjoy John Carpenter scores. I remember initially you'd said, I don't know yet if I hate it or love it. So you've, you've landed on the hate it side. (laughs) Okay. So, so here's, here's where I was going with that. Uh, Mm. I I said this because it's essentially an exploitation film Mm. and you know, I love my Roger Corman, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's an exploitation film that takes itself way too seriously. Uh. (laughs) And it's also kind of racist. Yeah. Um. Uh, apparently, they just created a bunch of situations for this dude to be in, so that they had more dramatic stakes. And even the guy that it was based on watched the movie and was like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> oh my oh, god, wow. that's yeah. amazing! <laughs> He's like, "It wasn't that bad, guys. Can we chill out?" Um. So anyway, uh, so when it's when it's going like balls to the wall exploitation, it's kind of goofy and silly and it's not supposed to be. (laughs) So so, uh, I don't know how this got nominated for best picture. Uh, My next one would be coming home. I was kind of lukewarm on that film. It's very Vietnam one, isn't it? Yeah. It's another Vietnam. uh, There's, there's no actual Vietnam. It's just, well, there's a little bit, but it's mostly about, Again, guys coming home from Vietnam and uh, John Voight is uh, lost the use of his legs. He falls in love with Jane Fonda, who's uh, married or engaged to Bruce Dern. I can't remember which off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter because the movie's not that good. Um, (laughs) And so Bruce Dern comes home and it becomes this complete soap opera. And even as a guy who really appreciates soap operas, again, mm. it's a soap opera that takes itself way too seriously. And that's never fun for soap operas. So it's, I don't know. Again, I'm very lukewarm on it. I just yeah. don't think it's a very good movie. Uh, and also Jane Fonda shouldn't have won best actress. <laughs> We should yeah, have won. Back, 
Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. Oh, all right. My next one is Heaven Can Wait. I really like that film. It is a really good remake of uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, a film that I watched very early in this year because it got nominated for Best Picture against Citizen Kane mm-hmm. and How Green Was My Valley. And it's just a sweet movie. And I think they updated it very well for the 1970s. And Warren Beatty is kind of perfect in it. And Elaine, like Elaine May co-wrote it. And I love Elaine May. And when, when it got to the Elaine Mayness of the film, you could tell what she has written. <laughs> Absolutely tell what she has written because she has a very specific humor. Uh, yeah, I love that film. I think everybody should see it. It's on HBO Max. Watch that movie. Okay. Uh, and then An Unmarried Woman would be the top of the other nominees. Uh, I think Paul Mazursky made a really a really good film about uh, just a great feminist icon played by Jill Clayburgh and uh, Jill Clayburgh should have won best actress. She was incredible in that film. She's very, very even keel. She doesn't, she doesn't stray into any kind of melodrama. There's only one scene where she really like shouts at another human being. And you could tell she's shouting at this human being because of everything else and not what's going on in the situation. And it's mm. played really well. Uh, she's just incredible in that movie. And uh, the yeah, it's it essentially just watching a woman deal with a divorce she didn't see coming, and dealing with her teenage daughter. And it's really good. Mm. That being said, about all those films, I think The Deer Hunter is perfect. I again, I've watched this like four or five times, and for a three-hour movie, for me to sit through three or four or five times you know it it's got to be something Mm -hmm. because it's so good and it's so human and it has so much to say about depression who we who we leave behind as a society and as as a military brat and someone who lives in a very military area has so many friends who were in the military like and knowing the rate of homeless veterans and veteran suicide like yeah. this this film hit hits really close to home for me and these characters are people i know yeah, yeah. you know I, I feel like as a society we are finally getting around to having these conversations and i don't know why we haven't earlier because with Films like this, and even if we go all the way back to um, best years of our lives, I mean, say what you will about Hollywood, but occasionally they're ahead of the curve on societal topics, and and I think veteran mental health is one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that doesn't go away into the future generations with films like Jarhead. Yeah. I think that's a film that's all about just veteran mental health and... There's there's even a scene in that where a, a Vietnam vet comes walking onto a bus of returning soldiers from Desert Storm, and he just wants to sit on their bus so that he can feel what it's like to be welcomed home. Oof! It's so like I almost, I almost, I almost started crying like just saying that yeah. sentence. It's so fucking heartbreaking. That's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's one of those moments in film that just thinking about it just murders me on the inside. And, yeah, we're still not we're still not there. 
Yeah. Okay, then. Well, I've got the second question here. The uh, second question is, is this the worst best picture? And Josh, if, uh, if you don't think it's the worst best picture, which is the worst? Oh, man. Uh, it's definitely, it cannot be the worst best picture because it's amazing. <laughs> um, but I, I just don't know enough uh enough bad uh winners to to be able to pick one i feel like i'm out of my depth on this one that's fair i mean right. we understand that, that <laughs> 90 years of best pictures it's easy to not know half of them yeah especially especially when only i would say maybe a quarter of them are like still kicking and relevant today even if they you know there's some really good ones out there that have been forgotten yeah well, I'll ask myself then. I'll say no. I'm still kicking with the, uh, you know, greatest show on earth, dragging the bottom. So, Paul, is it the worst? Absolutely not. Um, yeah, this this film is incredible, and I love it. And it is currently sitting at my number seven. Ooh, right I'm looking on, at my damn. Uh, I have it right under Sound of Music and right above On the Waterfront. Ooh, both very good. Yeah. I have seen those. Mm. They're so. Hmm. I'm trying to decide. I think I think it might be my new number ten, which would be between Mrs. Miniver, uh, Mrs. Miniver, and The Sting. Nice. So, yeah, I have Miniver in my top ten. I think at number nine as well. Well, there we go. So there you go. All right. Uh, okay. I guess that wraps up our show for this week. Yeah. Uh, thank yeah. you. By the way, thank you for uh, having me on for this movie. I. Uh, I it's so great that you to come on for uh, a, a movie that it will for certain stick with me for a real long time in yeah. the best possible way. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Cause you, normally when I, if, if somebody asks me to be on an episode or if I ask someone to be on an episode and they don't have a film in mind, I, I try to give them something that I think they're going to enjoy. Yeah. Lots of people are like, Oh, I'll come talk about a movie I love and I've seen, which is fine, but you know, yeah, it's, it's. I think it's a little more interesting when somebody comes on that they haven't seen or maybe they hated. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I really want some people to come on for some films they don't like, like specifically <laughs> know they don't like, and not hand them a film that they don't like. But man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and absolutely, you know, sitting through a three hour movie. <laughs> you know, a three hour runtime can, can look really daunting. And there's times where we've watched movies like The Greatest Show on Earth, which is the worst piece of trash you've ever seen. <laughs> um, not named Bohemian Rhapsody. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that is three hours. And it's like, why? Why is this three hours long? <laughs> You get through one hour and you check the runtime. You're like, I have two more hours. How oh, is this happening? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we've repeated it again and again, but that movie is literally almost like at least half, almost two thirds, just circus scenes. Oh my it's, God. It's Sounds like it's so boring. It is. It's terrible. Yeah. Gonna, it's like I'm working my way through, through the backlog <laughs> uh, of Oscar Worsty. And I will make sure I, I'm going to move that episode to the top of the queue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> move rip that it apart. Uh, move yeah, that one up. One. Move the, uh, if you haven't listened to Gone with the Wind. I did. Like, look. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, <laughs> just have an absolute mental breakdown on that episode. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I think 
and uh, you you told me you had already listened to um one flew over the cuckoo's nest which yes. i think i think is a very strong episode yes the cuckoo's nest is great and i saw the the live show that you were in when you were in cuckoo's nest no you didn't see that one because oh you didn't i thought that I was that playcrafters i did that one here oh uh, i thought they did it like they did it at playcrafters here i, I believe i i think they did it like right before i got there oh okay uh because well, i'm a liar that's fair uh you did see me a in, well-intentioned uh, liar i think you did see me in um Raisin in the Sun. I definitely saw you in Raisin in the Sun. Your mom was the stage manager on that. That show was amazing. And that's the first time I'd ever seen that show. And it blew my mind. Yeah, it's so good. I I saw that they were casting for it. And I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go audition for that. Because I know there's one white character in it. And I was the (laughs) only white person who showed up. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) That's how I met Josh's mom. Yeah. Awesome. That's not a joke. That's how I met Josh's mom. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it was uh, a blast. We're we're gonna bring our AI Jonathan back next week. Uh yeah. so that you guys can miss each other. Cause <laughs> I know you guys oil and oil and water, you guys. I don't think he's a real person. <laughs> Fair. I've Fair. N- I've never met him. I've never seen him. I don't think he's real. <laughs> so uh Let's do wrap ups. Uh, Josh, let people know where they can find you out and uh, the socials, media, and things you want to plug. Fantastic. Well, uh, as you mentioned, and I've mentioned Stephen King a few times, uh, I'm one of the hosts of Dairy Public Radio, a bi weekly Stephen King book club podcast. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can find us on uh, Patreon. You can find our Etsy store that not only has Dairy Public Radio merch, but there's some Stephen King merch uh one of my favorite being a blue shirt that says my other shirt is chambray so if you're a stephen king fan you got that joke uh, <laughs> uh you can follow us on dairy public radio on instagram and on facebook at dairy public on twitter all right excellent Zach, if, uh, where can people find you yeah i was gonna say well i was gonna say you can follow jonathan at jonathan ai uh, it's a <laughs> it's a program you can find it in the app store um <laughs> So right now it's free. It's in beta um, or otherwise all torn underscore Occam, I guess is all his stuff pretty much. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Critiker at Zach Master spelled X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R because I was a, a edgy 18 year old um, <laughs> or TikTok at House Havoc. Paul, you can follow me on uh, you can follow me at Father of the Fear on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, which I need to get back to doing, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films that I watch this week. I watched, I forgot to bring up my list of reviews, so let me do that real quick. Uh, What is the funniest thing to bring up? This week I watched Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, (laughs) which was a joy. (laughs) I did not like the first one, so it was nice to sit through a Venom movie that I actually liked. That's good. Venom is a stupid character. Yeah. <laughs> and you also just saw the uh, the one. Oh, where I found some time. Yeah, I found what? some time. I found some time to die. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rami Malek is a really boring actor, and I don't like him. <laughs> uh, he doesn't ruin the movie though, so uh, yeah. it's 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 fun. It's a good movie. Uh, I don't think it's a great movie. It is probably my third favorite of the Craig Bonds. 
Okay. So, oh, and I just watched the new Pokemon movie on Netflix today. Everybody see Pokemon, the movie Secrets of the Jungle on Netflix. Nice. All nice. right. And what are we watching next week, Zach? Next week, we are watching Meryl Streep back again. Kramer versus Kramer, which you can stream on HBO Max, rent on Amazon, Google, Voodoo, or YouTube. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, Josh, at Oscar Worsty Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, at The Oscar Worsty Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review, just like I did with this movie. Uh, on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher really helps us to be seen in the almighty rhythm of Al Gore. I need to change that joke. <laughs> yeah, well, Al Gore, just like, you know, Vietnam, it's an inconvenient truth. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Oh, we're going to go out <laughs> on that one. So for Jonathan, who is an AI, Zach, Joshua Khan, and John Cazell, we love you. We miss you. I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>